can read over the scriptures that we're going to be going over today. Um, I'm Michelle. Um, if you haven't met me before, I'm Carl's little sister. So, uh, I am coming to you live. Okay, maybe not live by the time we watch this, but uh, we're in Tacoma, Washington, in the States. So, uh, we're going to be going over the Last Supper, and it's found in the New Testament, uh, Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 7. So if you guys have your Bibles, your Bible app, or whatever, and you want to join me, feel free to grab them, open them up, um, and if you just want to sit and listen, feel free to do that as well. All right, so expect some children in my background to pop their little heads in every now and then. All right, so I'm going to get going. Luke chapter 22. Uh, oh, and happy Mother's Day to those of you that are mothers. Um... I hope you guys had a wonderful day. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Luke chapter 22, verse 7, the Last Supper. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of that house, the teacher asked, where is the guest room and where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? He will then show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make the preparations there. I don't know if I would trust that, just saying. Follow some random guy with a jar. Anyways, continue. Um, <clears throat> 13. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. Go figure. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and the apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance for me. Sorry, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at, on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. I don't think anybody was shooting their hands up to be like, me, me, me. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't have been. Um, all right. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should, take, should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, 
so you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. All right, that's the end. Thank you. Hi. I lost my tooth. <laughs>
knowing they didn't understand what the new ending would call them to, he named them as successors. In Luke 22, 28, he says, you who've stood alongside me during my testing, I appoint you just as my father appointed me to the kingdom in order that you will eat and you will drink around my table and in my kingdom. Jesus made them his representation on earth. They became responsible for keeping the table open just as Jesus did with enough room for the zealot, the traitor, the power hungry, the violent revolutionary, all of whom Jesus knew were imagining the wrong ending to his story. They were allowed space to lead, even though they still needed to learn how to be affected by witnessing where God would show up in others. Jesus knew that each one sitting around the table would begin fighting over power and position. In fact, it takes years for them. It takes years to go from the end of Luke, halfway into the sequel, the book of Acts, for the apostles to begin to realize what this ritual will call them to a radical humanity which dismantles the system that categorizes orders and separates us from each other, becoming a people dedicated to rereading sacred stories towards new endings which find room for more people to be included. The original apostles didn't understand, but Jesus placed his faith in them and by extension in us when he said, I appoint you in the same way that my father appointed me to the kingdom. Jesus has faith in our ability to realize his vision of a radical humanity, a humanity able to recognize God's incarnation in each person gathered around the bread and wine with enough grace to allow us to learn as we go. So we gather as we eat and drink around Jesus's table to embody Jesus's faith in this community by recognizing God in everyone present. Jesus' disciples were a strange brew. You have the equivalent of Trump supporters, Bernie Sanders supporters, and Biden supporters all sitting down at the same table together. Groups of people that if not for Jesus would never find themselves sitting at the same table together. You even have Judas, the betrayer, at the table as well. The guy who was responsible for the death of Jesus is at the table with everybody else. Jesus doesn't skirt the issue. He goes directly at it. He calls it out. He says, but even now the hand of my betrayer is with me at the table. And he still continues to share the cup and break the bread with everyone at the table. Jesus knows Judas has betrayed him and he still invites Judas to the table. There is no way that I could be so magnanimous as Jesus was. If it was up to me, I would never allow the one who was about to betray me or who did betray me to partake in the new thing that I'm doing. I just wouldn't have the trust for it. But it's as if Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter what you've done. Your future is still with me if you're willing to be at the table with me. The story of Judas is a tragic one. Judas betrays Jesus and then Judas ends up killing himself. It's tragic, it's horrifying to actually think about it. And some people would say, well, he got what he deserved, but that's so cold and so callous. In light of resurrection, I wonder if Judas 
had returned to the table with Christ and all the others after everything that had taken place. I wonder if Judas would have found himself immersed in a new life in the resurrection at the table with Jesus. Because the cup, the wine that they drink was about something new being birthed and Judas was still invited to participate. The bread that was broken was the broken body of Christ through which the absolution of sins in the world was somehow made manifest and Judas was invited to participate. There was nothing about what happened at that meal that said Judas could not return. But I think most of us, if we're honest, would not have allowed Judas to return to our table. And maybe that's why it's a beautiful thing that it's Jesus's table and not ours, because Jesus is always inviting everyone to return, everyone to be present. And that's why being at the table with Christ is an act of worship in and of itself. Gathering at the table is an act of worship because we're not looking at what we've done. We're not looking at what we should do. We're not looking at what they have done. We're not looking at what they should do. Rather, we are looking at what Christ has done. We are looking at the person of Christ present with us. We are remembering the person of Christ present with us. And that is all that matters when we come to the table together in light of the resurrection, in light of Christ. I want to switch tracks for a moment. David Fitch in his book, Faithful Presence, talks about three types and what we'll call table spaces. These three tables will be part of the way that we navigate through the next three weeks together. You have the close table, which is about centering the, our focus on Jesus. It is about worshiping together as a community. You have the dotted circles, which are about creating open and invitational space where we are shaped in the image of Christ. It is about being present with each other in light of Christ. And last, you have the semi or the half circle. And those are about space, the spaces all around us that we go as guests. It's about being present as the incarnation of Jesus. So this week, we're talking about the table as a closed circle, as the formational worshiping space. Much of the church is known for who they wanna keep out of the church the sinners, the heretics, those who do not see the, the world the same way that they do. They throw words around like we don't have the same worldview. Far too often, the sad reality is that many local expressions of the church would actually not allow Jesus in if Jesus was present in front of them in the flesh and blood. This is not some sort of thought experiment. This is a sad but true statement. The gospel tells us that Christ is present in the marginalized and the disenfranchised, those that were unwelcome and unwanted in the religious spaces of their day. Who are the people groups that have not been welcomed in the religious spaces that you have been in? If you can name one, you are naming the vehicle in which Jesus has shown up and been barred from the table. You see, the table is not closed. When we use the language of a close circle, it's not about who the circle keeps out. It's about drawing the focus towards Christ. It's about saying that in this space, we look to Christ. We recenter our focus on Christ. We place our gaze upon Christ. And in doing so, we find ourselves present with those who have found themselves left out and even cast out of the religious spaces that have claimed to follow Jesus but they were never outside the presence of Christ. They were never outside the presence of Christ because Jesus is always found with those who have been made other. 
there's this quote from the late Rachel Held Evans that has been making its round on Instagram lately that I think sums this up quite nicely. It says this, the apostles remembered what many modern Christians tend to forget, that what makes the gospel, or I would say the table of Jesus, offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. At folks, we have a litany that we recite together when we partake in the bread and the cup together. We consume the broken body of Christ, becoming the broken body of Christ, present in a broken world. The close circle is where Jesus invites us to consume his broken body. And in doing so, we see our own brokenness, but we also see our potential for wholeness. We see the broken pieces of humanity brought together and formed into a new people with Jesus at the center. At the table of Jesus, the closed circle says that anyone can return, even the Judas is amongst us, because it is about drawing close to Jesus and never about being closed to the world around us. It is about finding yourself oriented towards Jesus and as a result, finding yourself at his table. The circle is not there to keep you out. It is there to show you how to step in. It is there to highlight where the table is. It marks out this space as intentionally following Jesus into the future. As we've come to the end of this, since we got to discuss a few things, we really wanted to try to do a 30 second wrap up because sometimes kind of with Google Maps, when you're looking all over, we can forget where we're heading and where we've been. With that, what we've discovered in walking through this close circle in Luke 22 is that Jesus invited us into a place to where we have the freedom to develop while we learn as we go. When we're sitting around the humanity of the table that has different dreams for how it'll end. And that in and of itself becomes the scandal of the table which invites us into the challenge of Christ to where we absorb some of the conflicts of expansion of the ever expanding and developing kingdom of God, always for the point of inclusion of those who have been experienced as unwanted, undesired, and uncomfortable within the religious settings, who would see themselves as other and disconnected from the table of Christ. So as we take the bread and wine, we lower our gaze to see each other, and we hold space for people to still be included who would say, I never would have seen myself as the incarnation of Christ until this moment. Oh man, that's beautiful, man. Um, I just wanna say this one thing in light of what you're saying, cause I think it, it, it's the scandal of the table, everything that you're talking about, the living, I think it's embracing that tension, living in that tension um, is I think what it means to be a worshiping community. Right, like I, I, everything you're saying, I'm like, man, that that's 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 the hope and the dream for for folks.